I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball. And it's a great day for a ball game. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I'm Randy Rohde, and you are listening to Running the Bases with Small Businesses. And today's guest comes from a long line of entrepreneurs. One might say it is truly in his bloodline, a third generation family business with over a dozen brands and 1600 franchise locations worldwide. Our guest grew up in the franchise business. And as he says, franchising is all I knew. His work experience has humble beginnings. His parents had him working at the local franchise locations, doing all of the jobs, cleaning, sweeping floors, answering phones, learning all of the equipment, all of the fun stuff. After graduating with his MBA from the University of Miami, he moved into a leadership role in the family business. And today you can find him at the helm of the large, largest franchise business in his family's portfolio, Sinorama overseeing 750 franchises across the globe. That number could even be more today. I'm not sure. Sinorama has been named to Entrepreneur Magazine's top global franchises list. Very impressive. So welcome to the show today, AJ Titus, the president of Sinorama and Starpoint Brands, the world's largest sign and graphics business. AJ. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Randy. Appreciate being on. Yeah. Hey, before we get into all of the fun stuff we're going to hit on today, I do have to say, I understand. Congratulations. You're a new dad. Is that right? Yes. So I have a 10 month old at home. So I'm well rested (laughs) for those other dads that are listening, but they know what I mean. But yeah, that's, it's been a great blessing. It's been amazing. Oh, that is great. Is that your first First, first baby. Yeah. Good for you. That's always fun. Boy, girl, girl, girl. Named Abigail. Yeah. There you go. That is always, how do you navigate? I know when my kids were babies like that, I was traveling a lot. How do you kind of balance that work-life balance with the baby? Cause I can imagine you've got, you know, sites all over the world. So how do you, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you travel a bit. Sure. So actually I just got back from South Africa yesterday. So I was in South Africa with our franchise owners there for our conference. And so if I look a little jet lag or sound a little jet lag, I might be, (laughs) but no, it's, I'm still navigating being a new dad and, and doing that. But I think the best advice I ever got was from my grandfather, where it's talk to your spouse and your kids first before you get into anything. And so before the day starts, if the time difference works, call your spouse, call your kids, talk to them, tell them you love them, and then go on with your day. Don't be the one who forgets to call them every day. Yeah. Well, that is yeah. that is good advice. And it's hard, especially when you're on time differences, time zone changes and such. But I don't know what it was like in South Africa, but I know I've been on the West Coast and, you know, three <laughs> hours back and on the East Coast time. And, you know, by the time getting up or whatever, my kids are already off to school or whatever. But yeah, yeah. that's great advice. Yeah. So that's good. We also probably have some other, I will say, connection, not really, kind of remotely, I guess, because we're outside of Cleveland, and I know you're a big Miami sports fan, right? Dolphins, yes, huge heat, yep. you like baseball, <laughs> we were chatting a little bit about the Marlins, and yep. so... Unfortunately. Yes, yes. and so... I'm not going to get into the LeBron James, Miami Heat, (laughs) Cleveland, you know, Cavaliers winning the championship. That was great. But also my office is just kind of down the road, so to speak, from the uh, Don Shula Stadium because Don Shula went to Mm. John Carroll University right here in Cleveland. So so you had to open up that very painful (laughs) past, right? What I would respond to that is the Heat got two championships. Yes. Cleveland only got one. So, you know, 
There we that, go. That one should have been the heats, but you can have one. I think that was good for you all. And that then it's great for um, us. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. And it's, it's yeah. So that was awesome. But no, I'm a, my dolphins fandom goes deep. So I'm a huge Miami dolphins. They would be my number one team, but all the yeah. Miami sports, I have a, you know, my wife, uh, jokes that i have a mild sports addiction so all the miami teams are who i support so yeah that's okay i'm a cubs like diehard fan so you know i I know the uh i know the feeling so does my wife at least my wife likes baseball and likes the cubs as well so you know it it was not a prerequisite for our (laughs) marriage but it certainly works for us all right well let's get into a little bit of your background what you're doing today and because i've so fascinating i think your history and i'm i love uh, in reading through our notes i love the background the growth of your family business and i'm i'm going to call it a family business obviously you've got you know a very large footprint now but maybe just run our audience kind of through the background of kind of the 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 roots of your business well, it, it's it's a long story, but I'll I'll summarize it into you know bite sized package. But my grandfather Roy Titus, he actually started Minuteman Press, which is a a printing franchise that still exists. It's over forty years in existence, yeah. still exists to this day. My dad actually grew up in that business, and he you know know anything but franchising, like I told you from my experience. But he really did the same thing, and then he wanted to start his own business, and with my grandfather's help, started Sinorama in New York 37 years ago. And so from there, built the business, moved the company down to South Florida because, hey, who would want to not live in South Florida? Um, And then has built it ever since and has added brands and franchising has just been a part of our dinner table conversation my entire life. So I have two brothers that are in the business full-time. I have three cousins in the business full-time and, you know, we're very active. So it's one of those things where we didn't think of doing anything else, but it's really my grandfather, Roy, and my, my dad, Ray, who have really laid the foundation for us to really take over and to move forward. And so, but my dad's not going, he's not retired or anything, but it's, it's definitely been a part of us. Well, that, that is fabulous. So just to be sure, I want to kind of understand. So it all started though with your grandfather and starting with one business, right? Yes. With one Minuteman Press. Was that always called Minuteman even 40 years ago? Uh, I was. Yeah. Wow. That is Minuteman Press. Yeah. That was yeah. great. It's a great brand. I mean, I've, uh, I've known Minuteman Press for uh, probably the 40 years. I don't know. <laughs> since I've been in <laughs> Yeah. They're probably close to 50 now. Mm, yeah. I don't know what amazing. the exact number is, but yeah. So, and then at some point, you know, it, they, they grew, they grew, they grew. And now you have, and maybe explain Starpoint Brands. How does that, is that, more of an umbrella company for other brands besides Sinorama? How does that kind of dovetail? Yeah, so when my dad started Sinorama, the majority of our history was only Sinorama. Right. And then we added brands throughout that time. And so at some point, my dad looked at everyone's shirts and everyone looked like NASCAR racers and had all these different brands on their shirt. (laughs) So he created an umbrella name called United Franchise Group. And we started with that as a name. But as we've continued to expand and add companies and businesses that aren't a part of franchising, we wanted to distinguish our franchise brands between United Franchise Group. And so Starpoint Brands came from that. So all of our brands that have franchise owners are under Starpoint Brands. And the ultimate vision for Starpoint Brands is to create a brand that customers know because customers really don't know United Franchise Group because it's a franchising business, right? Right. So we want to create a brand that people know and they trust and has the brands underneath that. And so that's what we're working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I think I'm going to try to tease out something that I think you just said quickly, but of like, huh, do you have some brands under your umbrella that are not franchised? Yes. So we have everything is connected to franchising. Okay. So, but they Mm -hmm. don't have necessarily franchisees. Some of them don't. The vast majority of them do. Right. But we do have a handful of them that are more franchise services or business services. Okay. And so, and we're looking to expand that and build that out as well. Uh, That is fascinating. Somewhere in my notes and God, horrible that I don't have these better organized, I guess. That's my fault because my team does a great job with this stuff. 
uh, somewhere I had seen a list of like all of the different businesses and such in your, uh, I think portfolio, we'll call it. It was like, obviously the sign and graphics business, but you've got restaurants, right? Yep. And we're very diversified. So yeah, yeah so everything I'm, from, you know, shared office space to business brokerage, sign and graphics, embroidery, screen printing, food, charcuterie, Greek. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're all over the, we're very diverse. Yes. Yeah. So I guess a question that when I was looking through the notes and I saw that, I was like, are those brands that you either created, right? So it was like, Hey, here's AJ out touring around. Like, I like that business. I'm going to go start one for our, our family portfolio. Or did you see a business? And I think I remember seeing one was like a Greek restaurant or something like that. Or yeah. it seemed like it was a Greek restaurant, the way that the name of it was. And I'm like, did you see it? And then say, we would like to have that. And then you go buy that brand or was it a mixture of Kind of all of those things. I don't. So the answer is yes to all those questions. <laughs> okay. So it's all. It depends. So we've done joint ventures with people. We've purchased businesses. We've started them from the ground up. Yeah. And everything in between. So yes, the answer to all your questions were yes. Yeah, that is amazing. So obviously, restaurants and food business is quite a departure from sign and graphics business, printing business. Who in your family had the interest in that? area and food. So the funny, the funny story behind that is for most of the business's life, my dad would stand on stage and say, I'm never going to own a food business. And he, <laughs> he literally said that for decades. Okay. I'm never going to own food for all the reasons that you wouldn't want to own food. Right. Mm. And then actually before I went into Sinorama, I met with a client who, with the business that we no longer own, we've since sold the business, but it was a food business hmm. and I brought it to my dad and he's like, Oh, let's take a look, you know, let's, and he was more open to it. And that's what kind of opened the door to being more involved with food. But it's not my, it's, I'm not trying to take the credit for it, but just his mindset has changed over the years. And we have some great partners that we work with now moving forward. So, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's just evolved and it's yeah. hard to be a big franchise company when most of the franchise businesses are in the food space. Hmm. So it's hard to be a big franchise company without having some food brands. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I love diversity like that in business. So, you know, applaud your efforts in that. Let me, I want to switch over and talk a minute about, or more obviously about Sinorama. So I said currently, and I'm not sure, hopefully this was accurate about 750 franchises. Yeah, about franchises. right. Yeah. Is that about yeah. right? 13 countries. Does that sound about right? Are you? We're a little bit more than 13. Okay. So I think we're about 25, 30 oh. countries, something like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah a lot so, more. like, for instance, we have just was in South Africa. So at that conference, we had South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, yeah. and um, Zimbabwe okay. that all were represented. All so, right. And I think. Yeah. A researcher said, hey, be sure to ask him about Oregon and give a plug. So do you currently still don't have stores in Oregon? For you, were, you were just liking to dig a knife in an empty, in like <laughs> oh, a really open wound. I was actually wound. trying like, to help on. you drum up some Yes, the answer, the answer is yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have someone in, in Oregon. And if you know someone, Randy, we'd love to have the first store in Oregon <laughs> yeah. for Sinorama. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. All right. So you can, yeah. if you're in Oregon and you want to look into Sinorama, go reach out to uh, AJ. Give me a call. Starpointsbrands.com <laughs> and you'll get connected there. All right. So I'm trying to help a brother out here. Perfect. I appreciate okay. it. All right. So tell us about Sinorama. I think it's a fascinating business. And from the notes that I've read just about the model itself, I, if I were looking at franchising, I would like, wow, this is a really great opportunity. It seems like so. I, and folks, I'm not trying to pitch Sinorama. So don't, you know, like send me all your <laughs> whatever email. Your check's I, in the mail, Randy. But, but I, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but I am really, the way that it's structured in the, what I would say the autonomy, and I'm not going to go too deep into this. I'll let you go on with it. It would be very appealing, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're a full, essentially the business model is we're a full customizable, full service sign and graphics franchise. So we do everything from the small 
indoor ADA signage to large outdoor electrical signs, vehicle graphics, and everything in between. Pretty much anything that has your brand on it in your business, we can do. And that's what sets us apart from other sign competitors because there's there's sign companies that focus in on certain things. They might be, I, I fabricate channel letters or I'm good with interior signage or lit signage or things like that. We do everything in between. Mm. And we've been around 37 years as well. So we have the history, we have the network as well. And so, and we do give, I mean, there's varying degrees of franchise control. You know, you can go from, you know, one end of the spectrum where you buy the food, you buy the cardboard, the paper, the le- you lease your land from mm. the franchisor to, hey, I'm just licensing, licensing the name and there's everything in between. We give a lot of flexibility because it's a fully customizable business. You know, you're, Randy, if you needed signs for your business, you, I can't just go around the corner and say, oh, Randy needs some signs for his business. Let me just take that off the shelf, right? We have to design it, create it, print it, apply it. There's there's more to it. And so it's hard to have the controls that other franchises have or try to have um, where it's fully customizable. And we want the entrepreneur to flourish. Like we want each one of our franchise owners to be entrepreneurial and flourish. And so we try to make a, a system and a, a culture that they can flourish in and give right. them that flexibility. I love it. I will say this. If I could, I would tilt my camera over and show you, but in our office on uh, on one of the main walls, we actually have our logo in some vinyl print letters and stuff. We use Signorama, a franchise local one here, to uh, very good to do the cut. And they came. Is out he on the east side it. of town? Yes, actually on the east side and a little bit north of us of where we are. Okay, so. I think I know which franchise owner that is. It's probably Sam. So, yeah. do you work with the guy or no? Uh, uh, well, I was here when they came in and installed Okay, when it, they did it. Okay. I, I don't know who that's So if been Sam's like listening, then maybe, ago. you know, it'll be good. <laughs> Very funny. So your business, so especially, I think, so 37 years, that's a long time. And we have come through like leaps and bounds in technology. How has technology changed the way that you guys not only probably do business, but as well, even the types of business and or delivery of business. How has that evolved? It's changed rapidly, but it's also stayed the same. And that's the beauty of the sign business. So our core products from 37 years ago are pretty much the same. I mean, we, we mm. cut vinyl, we print vinyl, we do a lot of different things, but just to give you a you know, perspective, 37 years ago, right. there was a dark room in the original store where they developed film there was a painter on staff that painted signs, okay? But we still had a, a plotter in the store, and stores still have a plotter to this day in the store. And so at the end of the day, the way in which we've made products, the equipment has changed and advanced quite rapidly. The way in which you market has changed quite rapidly. Our website has changed. I mean, when we first started, there was no website right. <laughs> 37 years ago <laughs> to now, we, you know, there's so many things we can do with our website. And so we've invested a lot in our technology, but the cool part is we're still selling signs. We're still using some of the same pieces of equipment we used 37 years ago, but it's just advanced a little further. And I think there's going to be a lot of other changes, exciting changes around the corner from an electrical signage point of view, digital signage and 3d printing. I also think that that at some point 3d printing will be applicable to our business. Right. Right. I'll tell you just from my own experience, was so easy to kind of deal with, you know, here's i uh, I'll show you if you can. Oh, it see. looks good. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to like get it to. <laughs> yeah. It was blur unblurry for uh, a second, un- but yeah, un- looks good. There we go. Nice. Um, okay, great. Yeah. Um, so, because I just said like, well, here's my logo, right. And I took the logo electronically, I sent him the image and I uh, said, I want it to be X tall and X wide and boom, they just came out with the letter. It was fabulous. Um, I think I read somewhere in the notes as well, though, and talking about this technology and this is where it kind of triggered me. It was that, so you can even actually go and print directly onto items and not, I'm going to read this quote, I think, because I thought, really, you can do that? Were you printing directly on uh, the piece of, um, what did you call this? I'm going to read this. I think this is, yes, there's flat 
flatbed printing where you can print directly to a material instead of printing on a piece of vinyl and then placing it onto something. You can take a door off the hinges and print on the door directly. Is that- so that's actually, a, that's that's a funny story you actually bring up. So, so yeah, so flat, <laughs> to answer your question, flatbed printing, a lot of our stores, not every store, but most of our stores at this point have added some sort of flatbed printing into their shop. And there's even some sort of printing um, the printer direct is called DCS printing. And so they actually prints Braille. So it actually raises off of the substrate. So you can actually really? print Braille and some letters with texture and things of that nature. So there's some really cool things that stores are doing interior with interior design. But flatbed printing, you can print on a lot of different substrates and different types of things. But when flatbed printing became a thing, the HP rep came to our head office and they mm-hmm. said, hey, we can do this and we can print on this and we can print on a door. Mm-hmm. And so Jim Tatum, who was my predecessor, said, show me. And we literally took his door off of the hinges <laughs> and brought it into the back and we printed on his door. And the door that my vice president has is that original door. We painted over it oh, white, great. but it was a picture of Jim on the door that we printed as like the, as the sample. So, yes, yeah, so if you did want to print on a door, you can print on a door. They proved that. that right is fabulous. When I read that, I thought, wow, that is great. Because I've always thought about maybe taking one of our vehicles and wrapping it, you know, with our logo and such and drive it around, you know, to promote our agency. And, and I wonder if I could just like drive my car up they just print right onto my vehicle. So, but can't do that yet. Yeah. I don't know if you want us to do that. <laughs> <laughs> can't do that yet, but I'm sure that technology might be there somewhere. So yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, I, I want to get into the whole concept around franchise and what makes a good franchisee and all of that. And maybe we'll do that after the seventh inning stretch. Um, but before we do that, how about give us, I guess, your insights on the current state of franchising and the franchising industry? Um, obviously, you're a very large fran- franchisor, so I would expect to hear you know good things about it. But um, you know, from your insights, though, what where do you? How do you see the industry today and where do you see it going in the next three to 10 years? Is it recessionary proof? You know, there's all this conversation about recession. (laughs) Well, there's nothing, I wouldn't say there's anything that's recession proof. I would say Sinorama speaking selfishly is very recession resilient because Mm. we have so many different types of products and people still need to market their business. And so our product mix is going to change during a recessionary time. And we've seen that because we've been through a couple of recessions in our 37 years, mm-hmm. either pandemic <laughs> related or financial related or whatever the case may yeah. be. So we've seen that prove out over time. But the thing with franchising, I would say there's no better model in the world that helps people generate wealth and helps them own their own business. Because there are many franchisees that could never start their own business on their own. But the guidance that franchising gives them and the training and the support and the network that they get helps them to be successful there where they wouldn't be, where they would be kind of on an island starting their own business. And I like the joke that we've made all the mistakes so that other people don't have to make the mistakes. And so that's what we have. We have that 37 years of experience and the the stats prove out that a franchise business is way more successful than someone that just starts by themselves. And so I think, and again, I've grown up in franchising. It's one of the greatest economic drivers in the history of the world. Now, the industry itself is strong and really good. You do have some politicians who who like to get involved in in franchising and like to speak on things that they don't necessarily know about. And I think their intentions are pure. Mm. Honestly, I think their intentions are in the right spot. But I, I think that at the end of the day, they, they're not really digging into franchising and understanding what franchising is and they don't get what the model is and they could end up really hurting it. So there are some, some threats to franchising that we work with and, and there's some people who are working on that as well to educate people and help them understand on what franchising is. But overall, the industry is very strong. It continues to grow. There are a lot of franchises that you wouldn't even think are franchises. You could be in your shopping center and you may look, think, oh, that's a mom and pop business, but it's actually a franchise. So mm. it's a huge part of the economy. I think one of the things that I love about 
Sinorama, again, is kind of the autonomy. You allow your franchisees to offer this service or that service or a lot of services, how they probably structure their shop itself, meaning management structure. Do they operate it? What's the staffing models look like? Things like that. But I saw as well, and this only because I am somewhat familiar with franchising and loved this scaling royalties kind of concept. Do you guys still do that? And maybe explain what that is. So, so we do, and it's, it's rare in franchising. Usually it's just a 6% flat or an 8% flat of gross sales. We actually scale it down. So it's 6% up to 600,000 in sales, 4% to a million, and then 2% thereafter for however long the franchise or much the franchise owner grows. So the better that the franchise owner does, the better that they do. They actually get a discount for Mm -hmm. doing better because we want to encourage sales. We want to encourage growth. And we're partners in this. You know, we're a 6% partner. The franchise owner is 94%. So they got to run their business and run yeah. the system the right way and hire and fire their employees. But we're going to do what our 6% is. And a lot of our franchise owners who grow and get to those 2% is actually totally not at 6%. It's actually totally less, you know, if you were to do that math. So, wow. Uh, I, it is rare. And that's why I wanted to be sure to kind of call it out because. When I came across that in the notes, like I've not heard of that in the franchise world, scaling royalties, because as an entrepreneur, it makes sense to me. But from a franchise or a perspective is like, well, you're kind of just giving money away a little bit versus, <laughs> right? But a way for you to continue to incentivize your franchisees, like go out, go get it. Go well, it's successful. also a different mindset because we're a family run business. So I'm not building this business right. to sell to a private equity company or yeah. go publicly traded or anything like that. Like I'm helping to build this company because I want my daughter to take over yeah. in 20, 30 years when she's old enough to do it. So we want long-term relationships with our franchise owners. So of course everyone wants to make money and we like to make money too, just like the next person. But we also want that long-term relationship with our franchisees. Yeah, that's terrific. All right. So we're going to come back to all of that fun stuff in a second, but uh, here we go. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right, AJ. Now is the time. We're going to get into the seventh inning stretch here. And uh, as I asked AJ before we kind of hit the record button was, hey, do you like baseball? <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of guests. Our current show that just released on Monday, you know, the guys from Scotland and he's like, I don't know anything about baseball. <laughs> so, you know, we get all kinds. Andy, um, I'm assuming you don't have any Bartman questions as a, I'm a Marlins no, fan. You're a Cubs fan. No, no Bartman questions. Okay. Yeah. So here we go. We actually, my researcher was like, Hey, we, she thought she was on the line of a, of a great question a great pursuit and then after spending about an hour into it she's like i just can't find anything I cannot find she wanted to do some kind of a question or get some hard information on signage in the mlb okay but obviously there's a ton of signage right in the yes. mlb throughout stadiums but she's like i cannot find anything on pricing so there's oh, yeah. certainly no shortage of opportunities to have a sign in a stadium. And then she listed all of this, you know, banner ads on walls and sidelines, obvious screens, different kinds of screens, restroom ads, kiosk, <laughs> on-field branding, scoreboard, concourse signage. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? And cups and cup holders and stairways. And I, she's yeah. like, this it is, she goes, and... There's no pricing. She had this great idea, like, I'm going to, what's the most expensive well, that's sign the, or something, you know? And I'm like, yeah. That's the beauty of our business is because everything's custom. <laughs> yes. So the price, you know, that's something that we always discuss with our franchise owners because price is kind of up in the air. I mean, mm. you can get a kind of a feel, but you can charge what you want. And there's some very famous signs in baseball too. I mean, sure. like I think of the Utz pretzel yes. sign in Yankee Stadium. There's the, is it Sitco? The big sign that's outside of Fenway Park. Yes, yes. So that's a famous one, but that's yeah. not even in Fenway Park. They kind of no. cheated the system by <laughs> facing it the other way, but it still kind of goes on the Fenway anyway. It, it gets so. a lot of eyeballs on it. Yeah, the only thing that we could find, well, I said she could find, was 
and I'll just throw this out because I really don't have a question. So you're you're getting okay. You're getting a real softball lob to you to knock it out. The only thing that even is a relative question is, I'm going to couch it this way: What is the cost of a logo patch on a uniform? Ooh. Okay, wait, I have some follow-up questions. So is it the actual cost to advertise a logo patch on a uniform or the actual cost to make it? If Starpoint Brands wanted to put your logo patch on a uniform. Oh, okay. And this is in baseball? MLB, baby. That's all we talk about. That's all we talk about. Okay. (laughs) Because the Marlins, they might be begging you just to stick it on the thing. Yes, I mean, that's that what they might be, be doing. I'm, it could be an opportunity for you, right? It might be. I'm sorry. I'm so cynical about my team. I'll still watch them all, but they just, I'm just so cynical. I don't mean to be like that. That's but, all right. Um, for how long? A year? You know, actually, I don't even know. It's probably. <laughs> I'm it's just going to guess $10 million. It's got to be a guess multi. Something. It's got to be a multi year. Okay, I'm going to guess like $10 million. I I don't even know the hard number. She just has written down eight figures. (laughs) Eight figures. Okay. So, all right. uh, Yeah. So, So I I guessed eight figures. Yeah. Eight. It's quite expensive. Yes. So, yeah, that's expensive. Yeah. Yes. So, there you go. So, that's that's the question anyway. And, and, and the, that was the oddest uh, seventh inning we've had for a while. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. There we go. Let's get back into it. Play ball. Okay, so I wanted to talk with you, and really, I think I read a quote again or somewhere, and maybe she pulled this out of a podcast, I think, that you were on earlier at some point. You have this viewpoint of your role, which is Mm -hmm. helping businesses grow and be successful. I don't know if that's a direct quote or not, but that was kind of your viewpoint anyway that you were expressing. I love that as a franchisor and in your role, I mean, you're, you're the top, top man there. You're the top franchisor. (laughs) So how do you do that though? Kind of maintain that viewpoint, pursue that um, uh, kind of mindset in a day-to-day basis. How how do you do that as a CEO? Well, so to go back to what I said earlier about being the best economic, one of the best economic creations of our time in the world, it's because of the symbiotic relationship with it. And so if our franchise owners do really well, we make money. If the brand is really valuable and does a good job, our franchise owners make money and it works together and one can't work by itself. You got to work together. And the only way you can motivate franchisees and the only way you can motivate people is to have relationships with them and to care about them and to care about their lives and what they want to do. And at the end of the day, I love when I hear franchise owners tell me, Hey, this business has helped me put my kids through college. This, this franchise has helped me afford a great retirement. This franchise has helped me put my kids into business and they take over for me and there's longevity there. And so that's what gets me up in the morning and that's what makes me me happy. And so if you don't have your, that mindset you can't be a successful franchisor. I mean, my cell phone is given out to all our franchise owners. If anyone wants to talk to me, they can talk to me. They can shoot me an email, shoot me a text. I have a 10-month-old at home, so I don't sleep all that much. So it doesn't matter what time zone you're in. But look, that's that's the way you got to be. You got to live it. You have yeah. to be involved with it because as soon as you don't live it, then the quality starts to go down. The relationship starts to go away and you're not going to be as successful. And so, you know, when I... Not to digress, Randy, but when I was dating my now wife, um, she saw me being in the franchising business. And so I, there was a point where we were dating for, I don't know, it was like a year or something, whatever it was. And I just had this conversation with her to say, look, you know, I really like you and I'd like to marry you someday, but you got to know that I'm going to travel a lot. I'm going to be very involved with our franchise owners and this is going to be your life too. And so if you're cool with that, then great. I'm going to make me very happy. But if you're not you're not cool with that, then we got to split, you know, we got to do go our separate way. So I'm happy she chose to stay, <laughs> to hang around, yeah. but that's just how serious we take it. It's, yeah. it's just a part of our lives. That's good. 
Good advice. Good, good relationship advice as well. <laughs> that wasn't a proposal either. That was one of a just, hey, that someday there might be a proposal. <laughs> but if there is, you know, we might as well cut it off now. If there's I, not. I, was, I was hoping, buddy, that that was not the proposal because I'm like, that really wasn't all that romantic. Of how- <laughs> no, no, no. I did a little, put a little more effort into sure it than that. I'm sure you did better than that. Yeah. <laughs> So when you have a new franchisee or just somebody new in business, maybe what, and kind of back to this mindset that you have, which is helping businesses grow and be successful. Are there some first kind of fundamental steps or things that you want to cover or as an overview with them? I'm wondering about that approach. Well, I mean, for each franchise, each franchise has their system. So there's a system that works. So mm. when you want, look for a franchisee, you want someone who listens and follows a system. And so, and that's been proven out over years and it's been tweaked and added to, and, you know, we adjust over the time based on what happens in the world and advice and things of that nature. So you want someone who's focused on the system. So I always point back to if something's not going right, one of two things is going wrong. Either they're not following the franchise system that we have or they're not working hard enough. There's nothing in between, right? right? So they're either, and and again, not being, I'm not being facetious. There could be things happening in their life to not make them follow the system. Like, you know, there could be a number of different things, but usually when that, when something's going wrong, it's those two things. And so I always point back and train on what does the system say? What does the system say? And are you doing that? So those are really the two questions that when I was in support, I would do. And that same thing when I talk to franchise owners now, and it doesn't matter if the franchisee is doing a half million dollars in sales or $7 million in sales and everything in between, it's usually those two things. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, You guys are, and we talked about this before, but you're really a family business and goes all the way through. And I'm curious, I mean, just earlier at the beginning with the introduction, talked about your uh, uncle and your cousins all involved in the business in different mm-hmm. parts of of the portfolio. How does that work? I mean, in the sense of, well, you're 40 plus years, three generations, you got a lot of hands, a lot of opinions. Yep. <laughs> uh, how does that all kind of stay together and keep going in the right direction? I'm sure sometimes doesn't feel like it's going in the right directions. I mean, I know family dynamics and sure. uh, how do you guys keep it all, well, uh, all focused, I guess. Well, we're, very, it's all my dad, to be honest with you. It's all my dad laying the foundation and, and speaking truth into all of us. Like he, he's been very clear with me. Like you're not the president of Sinorama because you're my son. You're the president because you're working hard and you're the best person for the job. But if I cease to become the best person for Sinorama, he has zero problem telling me that and firing me <laughs> as well. And so, and there's, so there's a clear cut communication in that regard because it's not about enriching the family. It's about our franchise owners and growing the business. That's what it's about. And so that's the first thing is that my dad has laid a great foundation. The second thing is he's made us very aware of the statistics because first generation, the second generation, it's, it's high. It's maybe 60, 70%. And I'm going to botch the numbers directly, but meaning successful, successful pass on the business continues to be successful. Second to third generation it, it's probably like 20%, 15%. It goes down pretty much. Mm. Third generation, the fourth generation, you might as well buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> it's like low single digits, oh. okay? And so the joke is the first generation works really hard, builds it. Right. The second generation maintains it. The third generation spends all the money, and the fourth generation closes it, okay? And I hate to say it like that, but that's what the statistics tell, you, tell mm. us. And so we don't want to be a statistic and we don't want to be part of that. And we have a plan in place. And my dad has done an amazing job at being clear and honest with all of us and have our mindset on the right way. Because of course there's times where we disagree. And of course there's times where we might, you know, not see eye to eye on certain things, but it always goes back to what's the best thing for our franchise owners. What's the best thing for our company as a whole and we move forward. Mm. But it's not about AJ or right. my brother or my cousin or ever. It's it's about our our business as a whole. Yeah. Well, first I applaud that because I think that would still be very difficult to pull um, personalities out of 
out of the mix. And I'm sure your family's got, you know, a handful of personalities. Um, and to stay focused on the overall objective of the company and success of the company and your franchise ease. Um, I'm probably going to harken back because you mentioned and certainly want to give credit to your father. And I understand that, and I don't have a lot of facts on this. And so I wanted your, really your insights on this. So I understand you wrote a book about your dad and the lessons that you learned from your father. Uh, Tell us about that and give us maybe a taste of (laughs) some of the lessons. Well, there's the other call to action is, is my book's on Amazon. If you all want to read it, it's very cheap. So I'm not making a ton of money from it. It's really just to get out there. But the book is called The List Lessons from a Father by AJ Titus, and it's on Amazon. But it's the story goes is my dad, he traveled a lot growing up. He traveled a lot more than even I travel now because every trade show was out of town and he had people all over, you know, every continent and things of that nature. And so, but my dad took two things very seriously. When he was home, he drove us to school and he had that time with us in the car. And then the other thing was everyone eats at the dinner table. So he was home at 6.30 almost every day and we ate at the dinner table and we talked, okay? And so that's where a lot of the teaching happened with my dad. And so one of the things he did driving to school is he made us memorize and recite what he called the list. And it was... 15, 16, I mean, you know, I wrote the book, I should know, but multiple facts on lessons to live by. So like one of them is honesty, always tell the truth. Another one is hard work, work harder than other people, respect, respect other people, dedication, dedicate yourself to good. And we go down this and we had to memorize that and say it back to him when we were kids, you know, when we were eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And then once we've memorized it, the lesson changed from, okay, you memorized it. Now, are you living by the list? Are you living by these lessons that were given you? And so, you know, going through the process of having a child and, you know, for the first time you think about things you didn't even think about before. Right. So, and so one of those things is how am I going to parent my daughter? And so my best example that I have is the people who parented me. And so I thought back and I thought, you know, this is a good thing that I should share with everybody. And that's why I did it. You know, I don't, don't make any money on it. It's just one of those things where it's out there. And if you want to read it, great. And I gave it to our franchise owners. And if it helps someone, then that's, that's what makes me smile. So that's that's the whole purpose. What a great gift to give to your father as well, as well as your, your own kids, your own daughter down the road, just to continue to share meaningful lessons from your father. I, I love it. I'm going to go check it out. The list. Yeah. The list lessons. It's a quick book. Yeah. Quick, quick read. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So let's get in a little bit about, I know you, you mentioned some things about, you know, what makes a good franchisee. Hmm. And I am kind of curious because you do have all of these different brands and I did find, now I, now I probably lost it. I did find the list of, of, the various uh, of the various different franchise or groups and things that you have. Uh, I'm probably going to say this and this is probably a dumb question, I guess, but does a franchisee prospect in Sinorama look different than a franchisee prospect in the Mediterranean grill, I think was one of your brands. (laughs) Yes. The great Greek. Yes. The answer is yes. So, yeah, I mean, each business needs different, you know, mindset behind it, a different skill set. Um, what we generally find, though, is, you know, for instance, for Sinorama, someone has to have either sales, marketing, or management background of some some regard. So they have to know how to manage systems and processes. They have to have an open mind. They have to have a positive attitude. But we have franchise owners between all walks of life. I mean, someone who is an operational person to a sales-minded person, but they got to hire their weakness. You know, if so, if they're an operational person, you got to hire a salesperson. If you're more of a salesperson, you got to make sure you have a strong operational person. And each brand is a little different, right? And the investment level is a little different for each brand too. So we have some brands that are more absentee ownership Hmm. where Sinorama is really not an absentee model. You have an owner operator who's in the business. And so, so yeah, there are definitely differences between each one, but really the attitude piece and the 
the mindset piece stays the same. You got to be able to follow a system. You got to be able to be positive. You got to be able to be open-minded. I mean, there are some people who flat out cannot be in the franchising business, you know, and I've told, I've told people on discovery day tour, this might not be for you because you don't want to, you want to change everything to suit you where we have the blueprint to move forward and you'll have flexibility and entrepreneurship within the blueprint, but you got to follow the blueprint. <laughs> you can't, you know, we can't have a blueprint for a house and then there's a canoe sitting there. <laughs> but if you want to color your house blue and have a pool and the model doesn't have the blue or the pool, then great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's good. All right. Um, so as a question, so we have a lot of small business owners listening to the podcast. That's primarily, um, what do they need to know if they're considering franchising their business? Well, so number one, they should first call Accurate Franchising, which is one of our consulting firms that we help people turn their business into a franchise. So thank you for that plug, Randy. I didn't even know so that's, that. So, that's <laughs> so yeah, so AccurateFranchising.com. But besides that piece, they're... As I kind of alluded to earlier, there's a lot of legal legalese in franchising. And sure. so the FTC and whatnot, you have to have a franchise disclosure document and all that fun stuff. And so that's something to keep in mind. But before you even get to the legal side, the things I would be asking myself is, number one, is this a replicatable model? So mm. franchising is successful over many states and many countries. So is this something that is widely replicatable? The first thing. Number two, do you have a written down system? Or is this just all in your brain? Uh, would the business completely fall apart if you got hit by a bus? Or can this be written down and passed to someone and taught to someone else? And then number three, I would say is, are these products and services, you know, can you get these to these different places? So like, you know, there might be a regional thing. Like, for instance, I, I married a Texan. So the, the girl I told I was going to be in franchising, she's a Texan. And so they eat things called kolaches in Texas. I had no idea what the hell that was, a kolache, okay? <laughs> I since now know what it is and it's delicious. But if you rolled out kolaches in South Florida, people would think you are nuts. Now, again, I'll eat my own words because there are many brands that have done a great job in rolling things out in other countries and sure, areas sure. that was never there before. But in the same breath, is this something that is easily explainable? So anyway. That's good. I know what kolaches are. We've, you are okay. I, I, think I know what it is now. In Cleveland, even so. <laughs> so here we are. We're going to roll into the bottom of the ninth, and generally, we have a kind of a set question in in regards to the bottom of the ninth when we ask for your uh, advice for those starting out in business or or maybe already are in business. But I'm going to fine tune the question a little bit um, closer to your niche here, which is. Do you have any tips or advice you can give to entrepreneurs thinking about getting into franchising? So that's a good question. I mean, big things for me is you want to know the people you're going into business with because this is a partner type of partnership. It's not a true partnership, but it is a type of partnership. And so where the brand goes really is where your business will go. Even if you run the system the right way and you, you work really hard the brand as a whole, if they're growing and successful, is really going to determine a lot of your success. So, you know, number one is the franchise been around for a long time. You know, do they have that longevity, that history of success? Number two, who are the business partners, the businesses, the people in charge? So is it a family run business like us? Do they have the same owners for 10 or more years? You know, is this a stable ownership group or is just this being passed to different people? And is it an industry that you're excited about? There's a lot of great businesses and a lot of great franchises and a lot of great industries. Is this something that you're excited about? Because again, like I tell this franchise prospects all the time, because they're all about making money, making money, making money. And that's great. Again, as I said, I, everyone should want to make money. We're in a capitalistic world. Making money is not a bad thing. It's not a dirty thing. Okay. But you got to enjoy what you do. You got to enjoy waking up in the morning and you got to enjoy going into work and you got to enjoy being passionate about the pro the products you sell. And so are you going to be passionate about flipping burgers? Or are you going to be passionate about helping people grow their business is what Sinorama is. And so I, 
Again, that's my spin on it. But again, some people aren't passionate about signs and that's fine. That's no problem. I want people who are passionate about the business, right? And so those are the things I would say from a franchising, what you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good advice. Good advice. How about just in general? Because I still want to get that. You have so such great experience and you see all different types of businesses and operators. What advice though do you have just in general, not kind of taking out the model of franchise, but just advice in the general business category? Well, work hard. There's no such thing as luck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, there is, let me take a step back. I definitely would sit here and say, I'm extremely lucky to be born to the family that I was born to and have the mentors around me that I, that have mentored me and helped me. But in the same breath, I have also worked very hard and I've earned it. Same thing with everyone listening to this podcast. There's some things you're going to be lucky about and there's some things you're not going to be lucky about, but you can choose how you can react to that luck and create your own luck in a lot of ways. And so the people who grind and work really hard, they're usually successful. Now, there's more nuance to that, okay? But at the end of the day, it's really... Are you working hard? Are you passionate about what you're doing? And do you want to make a difference? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's, I tell our franchise owners all the time, you know, Hey, you think you don't, if you don't think you're making a difference by selling signs, you're wrong. You're making a huge difference in your community. And there's a ton of people who have helped people become entrepreneurs with sign and graphics and have donated to nonprofits and have done things to make a difference. And so, you know, care, work hard, make a difference and you'll be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's great advice too. And I love, wish I knew who said this quote, but I think it dovetails directly with what you said is something like luck or success is when preparation substitute hard work meets opportunity. Mm. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think, you know, what you stated as well just really just echoes that same sentiment. So listen, AJ, thanks for being on the show. It's been great to get to know you and understand Starpoint brands. And folks, you can go check out the show notes. We will have a link where you can get in touch with AJ if you'd like. Talk to him more about business, about family business, about franchising. Starpointbrands.com. We'll also have a link to his to his book. I'm going to go check that out. That'll be fun. And yeah, it's just been fun having you on the show. Appreciate it, AJ. Randy, it's the pleasure has been mine. I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey folks, that's the ball game. Thanks for joining us today. And if you like our show, please tell your friends, subscribe and review, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the bases with small businesses is brought to you by 38 digital market a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.